Our two scriptures this evening, uh, the first comes from the book of the prophet Joel. Joel chapter 2, we read first of all verses 1 and 2, and then jump to chapter, uh, uh, jump to verse 12. Joel chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, and then jumping to verse 12. You'll, you'll see in, in, as, as we read this passage, you know, that um, in 1 and 2 there's almost like this, this call uh, with a particular type of response. And then as we jump a little bit later, you'll find at verse 15... There's a very similar call with a very different type of response. So it's almost like a a call and response, call and response. But there's a very different challenge that's laid before us in what sounds like the same call. Joel chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful army comes, their like has never been from of old, nor will be again after them in the ages to come. Verse 12, yet even now says the Lord, return to me with all your heart. With fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts, not your clothing. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And relents from punishing. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent. And leave a blessing behind him. A grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord, your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, gather the children, even infants at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her canopy. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your heritage a mockery. A byword among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples? Where is their God? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 beginning at verse 20. Paul writes, so we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time, I have listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. We're putting no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way. Through great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, 
hunger. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God. With the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honour and in dishonour, in ill repute and good repute, we're treated as as, as impostors, and yet we're true. As unknown, and yet we're well known. As dying, and see, we're still alive. As punished, and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, and yet possessing everything. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I don't know how many of you, uh, when you're in the grocery store, pay attention to some of the things that are sitting around you as you're, as you're in the checkout aisle. I know that when we go through the grocery store, can we get some candy please, Dad? Oh, just a wee piece of, can I get some gum? There's always the desire for candy right there at the checkout lane. But if you look on, usually on the opposite side, you'll see all these glossy tabloid magazines, right? They're always sitting there. If you ever go online as well, you'll, you'll see um, on most websites, any, any type of news website or, or most other websites, you'll, you'll discover something that's called clickbait, okay? Something that looks, oh, I might be interested in that. And you click on it and what happens? You're captured. And you're dragged down into all kinds of rabbit warrens and tunnels from which there's very little return. (laughs) But all of these tabloids and all of these clickbait websites, they're constantly filled with celebrity relationships. You can't open a paper or see a huff post a BuzzFeed page without being bombarded with images and and so-called news about the Kardashians or or Harry and Meghan. There's always there. But more than just news of the celebrity couples, what seems to thrill people more than anything else is news of celebrity breakups. I wonder if we see all these amazingly beautiful people who seem to have it all being unable to sustain any type of of, of lasting relationship. And so we say to ourselves, ha, they're not so perfect after all, are they? They think they've got it made and look at them. Usually we have a tendency to hear all these juicy details about couples, celebrity couples splitting up. But at the end of the day, Uh, They they usually end up separating over what are deemed to be irreconcilable differences. Irreconcilable differences. Well, relationships break down for all sorts of reasons. I wonder, though, if at the heart of every broken relationship, there's not one or more of these three issues. Now, think about people that you know who may have been in a broken relationship. Think about relationships that that you may have had that have broken down. I wonder if these three issues were not somewhere in the midst of that breakdown. Indifference. Estrangement. 
selfishness. Indifference, we just don't care anymore. I've had enough. I just, I, just, I just don't want to be bothered with this anymore. We come to resent the other. We become some sort of uh, anger, perhaps hatred, in the relationship. Or perhaps the relationship becomes all about me. Maybe it always has been all about me. Well, today in our worship, we're, we're being brought to the place where we're not, just, we're not just compelled to think about our relationships with others, but more specifically, uh, to, to think about our relationship with God. A relationship that the passage we read from 2 Corinthians says is in need of reconciliation. I think there's a great many people who find themselves at a place with God, or, or, or maybe... Maybe rather they find themselves at a place with a church and by extension they find themselves at this place with God where they feel that they've got some type of irreconcilable differences. And they decide that it's better, or maybe not better, but certainly easier just to walk away. Okay? Perhaps there's a sense that there's just this void that try as hard as we, as, we, as, we, as we might. We just seem to be reaching down into this empty pit. There's no one there. There's no voice ever coming back. Just this emptiness. Just this void. So, so why bother anymore? And just give up. Does it really matter after all? Perhaps some have been hurt in all kinds of ways. Many people have been physically hurt and abused by leaders and people in the church. Others have been very deeply wounded by some of the teachings that there are in branches of the church. You and I know people, I'm sure, who have been made to feel like they're less than a person by the way they've been treated. That they've got to become radically different before they'll ever be accepted by the church. And by extension, accepted by God. And so they're angry and they're hurt. Maybe some folks are just so self-absorbed that when God and the church ceases to be about them, they move on. And then when that church ceases to be about them, they move on. And when that church ceases to be about them, they move on. And they move on until there's nowhere else to go. And eventually they drift away. And it seems like there's no way back for any one of these irreconcilable differences. When folks walk away, there may be a residual sense that God's angry with them. Or if God were to be British, perhaps he's maybe just a wee bit disappointed And they could never be acceptable to God, let alone be loved by God or even be God's friend. One of the beautiful things about this passage is that it assures us that when it comes to God, there's no such thing as irreconcilable differences. Paul, who wrote this letter, was a man whose relationship with God was, was in a very real sense, completely broken. He was living under the impression 
that he was serving God by persecuting the Christians. When in reality he was actually opposing the God that he believed himself to be serving. He was faced with that reality in a very dramatic encounter that left him transformed. He was blind. He was utterly lost. Perhaps in that moment believing himself to be beyond the reach of God. The reconcilable differences. When he recovered his sight it was more than just a physical recovery as the story tells it. He was able to see that although he had been going in the wrong direction, God had never left him. Although he knew he was out of a relationship with God, God still loved him. Although he knew himself to be no friend of God's, God was and always had been his friend. The way that Paul expresses this in this particular passage is to make it clear that reconciliation is something that needs to take place from us to God. Not from God to us. It's our relationship with God that needs to change. Not God's relationship with us. It's the way that we perceive God that needs to change. Not the way that God looks at us. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the the message translation of the Bible. It was a a, a translation that was put together over about 20-25 years by a Presbyterian minister, a pastor called Eugene Peterson. It was translated into a very modern idiom. And he translates verse 20 like this. He says, become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. Do you like that? Become friends with God. He is already a friend with you. Friends, God does not hate you. God is not angry with you. He absolutely adores you. And he wants you to know how much he loves you. God's done everything to bring you back into relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. Friends, it's my prayer that this Lenten season, we'll take the time to make that long journey into ourselves. Recognising not just the good, but I think also and especially recognising our own brokenness. That in recognising that brokenness, we won't see that that has caused irreconcilable differences. Whether it's indifference, whether it's estrangement, whether it's selfishness or whatever else it may be, we'll bring whatever that is to God. And as we bring that to God, it's my prayer that we'll hear God's word to us. You are my friend. You are my child. You may be dust, But I love you, and I long for you to love me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our hymn is number 85, What Wondrous...